And I made it, made you made it a routine that every day, you know, if you brush your teeth every day, and you put on your clothes every day, we practice our violence every day. Welcome back to a new year of the Town Sounds Oral History Podcast. This episode is entitled, Who Do You Love? Musicians as Parents. And it was Jenny Hansen that opened the episode up for us, and then my son, Emil, whose second birthday is this month, welcomed us to the podcast. In the first 12 episodes of this podcast, I extracted archive interviews of musicians in Kirklees to explore locally prominent genres and musical themes. Topics covered such musical experiences as festivals, South Asian music, sound systems, jazz, punk and brass bands. The podcast reached over 1,500 people across all of the major platforms, and that number is growing every day. Some of those listeners found the series to strike such a positive chord that the team here have been flooded with unexpectedly heartwarming feedback. People have approached me personally to tell me how episodes have touched their lives and made them laugh and cry at the memories and histories brought to the surface by the interviews. Others have written in to thank or congratulate us on unearthing unique stories of the area. I'm hoping that today's episode will continue in that vein of the last year, perhaps reaching places that no other episode has so far. For today, we're talking about an extremely personal topic. One that you might not associate with music necessarily, but one that is intrinsically connected to it for many people. I couldn't help myself but make this episode, for even in the original interview archive, musicians just had to talk about the huge impact that parenting has had on their musical lives. It came up again and again, and here we have an opportunity to pick the topic apart. What happens when musicians have children? We'll hear deeply personal accounts of parenting today. In fact, this episode comes with a bit of a warning. Tissues at the ready. But also, seriously, we cover a few pretty difficult topics, some of which are rarely spoken about so honestly, because musicians do seem to have a certain skill in vulnerability, to be able to put their true feelings forward. But amongst the tricky topics today, we'll also hear about the creative thinking, the inspirational moments and the pure joy of parenting. To accompany it, we'll hear tracks by local musicians written about, for, with or by their children. Emily Drews to kick us off. I think to be an artist, you have to make space for yourself. You absolutely have to. And that becomes harder when you've got children to, mm. to somehow justify that um, in your head, especially if you haven't quite got the right sort of support networks in place. This was an unexpected episode, a brand new idea. So I've gone to the corners of Kirklees to interview some new guests. We'll be joined by musical parents, community musician and loop pedal wielding singing marvel Jess Baker, aka Kaninkin, music therapist and roots musician Emily Druce, Bob Lockwood, who's been the double bass player for the Graham Browning Trio, Edges Ensemble, Crooks and Claridge, Marsden Community Jazz Band, Stringfellows, Sabrina Piggott, and many more. And the Hansen family, who run Hansen's Musical Instrument Shop and Hansen Community Arts. And we'll hear snippets from Alex Bywaters, John Joseph and Ruby Wood. We've got loads of great music coming up today, all inspired by having children. And the names of all the tracks and artists, as always, can be found in the show notes that go alongside this episode. Here's our first track, Superhero by Shuffles, inspired by his son. Shuffles is a local poet, dancer, author, musician and general creative talent. 
1995 gave birth to this earth's most benevolent figure ever known. Five years old, four foot three, and so damn skinny you can definitely see he's got a backbone. Armed with nothing more than a cape made from reinforced bulletproof Tesco plastic. His big boy red underpants worn over his faded blue hand-me-down jeans looking so pristine, so damn clean. Regardless of the jealous comments made by the local teens Forever vigilant, constant alert To respond instantly to even the slightest sign of someone being hurt Gliding through British airspace patrolling for damsels in distress Seeking only to restore justice Never motivated to impress Using his self-taught kung fu and jujitsu to In this episode I'm going to follow a few people and their stories of parenthood I'll begin by playing clips from parents talking about their musical lives before their children Then we'll hear some anecdotes about life after having kids And finally we'll hear from the children of the musicians themselves We'll start with the Hanson family who run Hanson Musical Instrument Shop and Hanson Community Arts in Marsden. The mum, Jenny, is a string player and a teacher facilitator of music and strings to very young people in the area. Before she became a mum, she was a professional freelance violin and viola player. She performed with bands and orchestras and played in sessions for film and TV soundtracks, regularly travelling around the world. The dad, Alistair, played in brass bands from a very early age and started his musical instrument making business at 18. For business, he also travelled far and wide, especially to the Far East. They have two daughters and a son. And as I have already alluded to, before Lucy, the older sister, was born, life was busy for Jenny and Alistair. This is where I asked them to begin their story. We were travelling to various parts of the world with bands and orchestras and music industries, things generally. It was really, really busy. And the idea of changing that into living and working within a mile or being at home, being in the countryside, with being in a little village environment is really quite different. It was really exciting as to Fredin, but um, I think actually this is equally more exciting. It, it took a long time, to, it took me 10 years to establish a career, freelance career that I was, I was pleased with and um, felt there was enough work. But then, actually, within the orchestral world, as soon as I took a little bit of time off and, and had Lucy, the work dried up completely, so uh, it, it stopped very quickly. So, the timing-wise, the only thing that was tricky was when I was pregnant with Ellie and I had a, I'd been given a commission to go down to London and play at Westminster Abbey for... I think it was one of, a piece that I'd written that was going to be performed live at Westminster Abbey and I was supposed to play violin on it. And it was, I think it was about two days before Ellie's due date. But the date, when the date came in, I just thought, oh no, this is never going to work. I really don't want to be in London. Mm. <laughs> Giving birth accidentally <laughs> in the best restaurant. And I remember Jenny being in a late pregnancy. To Lucy, I remember Jenny doing a fireworks um, gig. Uh, you know, one of these sort of last night at the Proms fireworks gigs in a big stately home. And, um, the 1812 overture being played towards the end and the fireworks and going off and stuff and yeah. Jenny said she could feel the baby Extra moving kicks. every time yeah. that the fireworks went off. I, I, the thing I found as soon as I had Lucy, as soon as Lucy was born, I realised that my most local work was Opera North and an Opera North day quite often consisted of being at a rehearsal at 10 o'clock in the morning and therefore leaving Marsden at sort of, you know, half eight or something. And then very often it would be evening concerts that are really late into the night. So you can't even you can't even book somebody to do childcare for that length of time. It was just such a, a ridiculous 
long day and I didn't want to be away from Lucy and she was fantastically vocal about this as well she did not want me to be away from her ever as in not going to the next room <laughs> and made that very very clear and actually I'm really grateful that she did because if, I think if I'd had a very passive baby who didn't mind being left with people I might have ended up doing much more professional work and as it was I kind of had to find an outlet that involved lots of music that wasn't in that same format and and I've found the focus of teaching other people music to be most of the time it's hugely rewarding. Although I didn't find out what life was like before children for all of my guests, I did also speak to double bass player Bob Lockwood and singer Jess Baker. Bob was in theatre before having children, as a director and a workshop leader. His partner Taru had their first child, Aya, just as he was leaving drama school. We'll get to the rest of his story later, but in the meantime, here is Jess talking about life before she had her daughter. While she speaks, we'll hear the song she wrote after her daughter was born, entitled Willow Willow. To you that came from me, that has grown wise despite me, that depends on me, you do not belong to me. Hello, I'm Jess, and I would describe myself as a community musician, first and foremost. I didn't come from a particularly musical family, like none of my family played instruments, so I used to go through my dad's CDs and look at the album art quite a lot and listen to those. Starting guitar lessons when I was about 11 and then my mum and dad would like turn up to all the concerts and clap and when I joined the choir I was like oh <laughs> singing together and then we had a module at university in community music with Hugh Nankavell and I volunteered to go and work with him and then I was like oh this is what I've got to do and I went to volunteer at Hoot Creative Arts and then there was a developing artist programme and I got on that developing artist programme and then quite quickly they put me in charge of a programme in Batley and Dewsbury so then I became sort of this internal artist for Hoot. It was always part-time and I always did other things on the side. So I started running my own choir and then, oh, I got a job at Jesse's Fund and I still work for Jesse's Fund today. To be honest, I thought I was never going to have a child and then I had a scare. My first ever smear test came back with abnormal cells. So I had to go and get those biopsied and removed and they ask you this really alarming question. They're like, have you had kids or are you thinking of having children? <laughs> That's what they ask you. And I was like 25, six or something. I basically went home and went, oh, maybe we need to have a child really quick. And then it happened really quick. Like we were a bit shocked. <laughs> I just got pregnant super quick. So, and that was Willow. That's how I had Willow. <laughs> Goodbye to you that lives alongside. I'll never let you down. I remember getting pregnant and I remember going for a walk with my mum and I was talking about all the things I do. And my mum said, having a child, people often think it takes something away, but actually it's adding something in. It's like physically adding something into your life. But it does, it makes it richer. Singing's quite hard when you're pregnant because you lose quite a lot of your lung capacity. Oh my God, I did a gig and the mic stand was one of those straight ones. It wasn't, didn't have a bend in it. And I was so pregnant that I couldn't actually reach the mic, the microphone on the stand. Tired, I can't see. I hold you responsible for my shining light. 
Straight after having children, life can be pretty intense. A whole new person that you've never met before comes and lives with you. They need all your attention and care and rely on you for everything all the time. Whilst you might have time to play your instrument whilst they're asleep or something, will you actually have the energy? You thought life was busy before, but now, in hindsight, it seems like it must have been a walk in the park. You might remember interviews with Ruby Wood in episodes 1 and 9 of the 2023 Town Sounds podcast. Here she is, talking about life as a single parent, life as a mum, and life in London, and some of the reasons she decided to move back to Yorkshire. While she talks, we'll hear her song, Me and My Girl, all about spending time with her daughter. three days a week, I was running free choirs, I was doing writing sessions, I was doing music, I'm a single, single mum so I was having to balance all of that and childcare and now I'm like, why? <laughs> a lot of sacrifice as you know, you know, and I think again more so on women, you know, there's a lot more expectation that you, you, you drop everything for the first years and I, I kind of did really but I feel like I'm getting my mojo back now that she's at school. <laughs> yeah. These thoughts were echoed somewhat by Emily Druce, who you might remember from episode 6 of the previous series of this podcast. Here she is talking about her struggles with parenting and its relation to music. While she talks, we'll hear one of her original songs, Bird on the Wing. The backing vocals and piano are played by her daughter, Holly, who we'll hear a little bit more about later. The words that she poured in my ears They've been seeping right through father of my children when they were quite young it was a very difficult situation and I sort of left that and at that point I think I realised I'd been not making music really you know I'd, I'd made some I'd been in Ireland and I'd been doing quite a fiddle playing which was really nice but not creating um, so I think then I spent so that I maybe had 10 years of, of that of, of really performing and um, and writing and then went into music therapy yeah and the girls were a bit older when the daughters were sort of growing up a bit and Emily had explained earlier in the interview that her mum also partly gave up music to raise her. And now we've just heard Emily say the same about raising her children. I wanted to find out a little bit more about this dynamic. Like Ruby, Emily moved back to Yorkshire, which brought her closer to her parents. We're raging towards the ones we long to be. I think it's hard to, yeah, I think I think things do shift when you have children and, and you, it part, partly for me it was perhaps to do with a relationship that wasn't good as well, um, but it, so it's hard for me to quite, quite sort of pick those two things apart. And then when I came back to Yorkshire to be near my parents, at that point I did start to, I think it was a, a bit of a reconnecting with myself, a bit of... Um, wanting to get back in touch with that creative side of myself and, and having a bit of support there. And then moving into a new relationship, which was a musical one, which was, yeah, 
probably move on to. So I met Steve at Burnley Blues Festival. I'd been there for a few years running, performing and uh, sometimes taking small children in the back of campers and that kind of thing as well. But um, Steve was actually selling guitars on a, had a guitar store there at Burnley Blues Festival. So that was where we met and I then commissioned him to make me a resophonic guitar. Yeah, so Steve's also great. As Emily just mentioned there, the support from another loving being or two can really help a parent continue to be musical whilst they are raising their kids, especially when childcare is particularly difficult for one reason or another, which it often is. In my interview with Jess, she bravely opened up about her difficulties with parenting and the importance of the right support networks. I did have about seven months off with Willow and then I went back to work part-time. So I think I was quite desperate to get back to work. And this is one of the reasons I went back to work because I did get diagnosed with postnatal depression, which was a total shock to me. You know, it's a thing that people don't talk about, isn't it? I remember walking out of my house with Willow in the pram and Willow was crying and I found it really difficult. And an old woman, one of my neighbors, she came up to me and she went, oh, how could anyone ever hurt them? She just said that to me. I just remember thinking, I totally understand why people would hurt their babies when you're feeling like this, when they're screaming and you're panicking and you don't know what to do and you feel depressed. I think I needed to be out. I felt like it was really closed in. And Scott was brilliant. Willow's dad was absolutely brilliant. He supported me a lot. There's some, when, when you become a parent, your identity totally changes. I remember when Willow was quite young and I got this Arts Council funding to go over to New York and do Bobby McFerrin's Circle songs, which was a great thing to do. And again, I could do that because I had Scott behind me going, yeah, do it, you need to do it. I felt like it was the best thing and I was being so creative and brilliant. And I also felt like the shittest mother. But that was definitely my way of insisting that I was still a creative person who could do new things. Earlier, we heard Emily Drews talking about taking her small children to music festivals. But it's not as easy as it might seem to bring your kids on the musical journey with you. It's common that very young children won't even let their parents practice in front of them. The instrument becomes competition for the child's attention. I have experienced this, and has Jenny Hansen and Emily Drews, as well as other musicians I've spoken to. However, taking your kids on the musical journey with you is one way to stay creative during early parenthood. And unlike other places of work, creative environments are often at least child safe, if not child inclusive. This theme came up again and again. We'll hear two similar stories now from Morris dancer Alex Bywaters, who we heard in episodes one and five, and double bass player Bob Lockwood. I've been involved in the New Year's Eve family Kaylee in Home Firth for many, many years. And it started off as going because it was a great place to take the kids because you could just shove them under a seat when they were asleep and carry on dancing and, and just have a good time. Basically, because they started it because they had kids and they didn't know what to do on the New Year's Eve. So they said, right, we'll have a Kaylee. Oh, there's enough of us. So that's what happened. I, I got in on that, as I said, with my family 25 years ago or whatever. Ended up playing in the band because it was a, a mass band, if you like. It was people that wanted to play from the from the session. That ended up degenerating into having to organise it because the people who originally started it, their kids had grown up and gone. And and I've been doing that ever since as part of the New Year's Eve tradition. Um, I ended up playing drums on that because my daughter played drums at the time. 
she it's all new year's eve is also a birthday so by the time she got to 14 15 16 she had better things to do on new year on her birthday than than hang around her parents and old people doing a kaylee so she beggared off and i ended up stepping on drums for her that's what i ended up playing in the uh, in the kaylee band and you know i mean our our, our children have had to be pretty flexible or we have this child and it would be just that thing of juggling, okay, yes, so they need to go here, so we can do this. So go to people's houses and it would just be like, well, have you got, have you got a decent, a decent drawer? The bottom's not gonna fall out of. <laughs> just have blankets and pillows and stuff. You know, I mean, that was, you know, when, when, when I was a baby, but we just did this, we were just pragmatic about the situations we, we found ourselves in because of what we'd chosen to do, you know. Our children have always been part of what we're doing at any given time. Scott Kelman was the director we worked with, had a, had a kind of workshop, create workshop system that we also taught. But they could be part of that because it didn't rely on an adult-centric view of the world. It just relied on the person being able to understand the instructions for any given exercise, which anybody can. I could lie on the deck as the waves did their work. Let the water wash over me. Wash over me. That music there is I Can Tell by the Graham Browning Trio, in which Bob Lockwood plays double bass and sings backing vocals. Alex mentions in the interview that we've just heard that for 10 years he didn't get the chance to listen to any new music whilst he raised his kids. 10 years seems to be the length of time it takes. It was 10 years for Emily Drews too, and our next guest. You might remember him talking about the Mash It Up Parang Band in episode 5 of the Town Sounds 2023 podcast. This is John Joseph, aka Rocky. And a period of time, um, I did it from 74 to about 84. Time Kelvin was not in Huddersfield at the time when we started, he was in Birmingham, you know? Period when I had my, started a family, I had, you know, two little um, girls were like two and four years old. So it came a period when my wife was working in the hospital and Christmas time became a, you know, she used to work Christmas, so. So basically about a period of 10 years, while the kid was that kind of age, I sort of stepped out of it for a period of time, you know? And these guys continued, you know. Then and I came back um, around 90, uh, yeah, 92, 94. Yeah. When uh, the kids got us and I came back and Kelvin, Sam and the boys and them were still going. And we just continued where we left off. As we've heard, life does eventually get back to some kind of normal. It might not seem like it in those first few years of parenthood, but eventually the music comes back. Bob Lockwood's story is different to that. It was the 10 years before having children that his musical life became scattered. He finished playing music in a dedicated way in his late teens. He was inspired to take it up again by his first child, Aya. Here he is now. And theatre was what I did for about 20 years professionally. I went to drama school in my early 20s. Like I say, worked worked as a, a workshop leader and director for the next 10 years, 15 years but ultimately left the music behind pretty much probably 10 years my way back into music was actually through my my older child Aya there was a there's a gentleman called Hugh Nankerville 
And Hugh, Hugh's had various bands. He's a fantastic songwriter. He ran a community band called Dangerous Volume. Aya, who's my older child, was probably six, seven, seven, maybe at the time. And I thought, oh, that'd be a good thing to do with Aya. And so we went, and that was the start of, that was the restarting, really, of my playing music. And then Aya continued to, 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 be, to be a musician as a child. You know, my, my dad bought her a kit, which was probably five or six this toy kit, which he played to utter destruction and then got replaced by a sort of half-sized children's kit. But, you know, something that was playable and, and, and lasted more than five minutes. And so by the time that I got to high school, she had a full-size kit. And me being a drummer's dad, I would take this drum kit to, to school. This is Hunley High School. Two, three times a week. So you're going into the music cupboard with this drum kit. And I spot this double bass, and I, over the course of a year or so, I watched it kind of disintegrate before my eyes. You know, the neck came off, and the seams were split, and all that sort of thing. And I said to Lee Baker, who you know, great music teacher, saved saved Ira at school. The music block saved a lot of kids. I said to Lee, oh, you know, if, if this is just going to end up as matchwood, can I have it? And you know, my put it back together and even might even play it and that's what I did but yeah so my my kind of actually I drew me back into music of course it isn't guaranteed that after all this your children will even be interested in music however for a number of our guests the case is that they are as we've heard from Alex Bywaters and his drumming daughter music is something that is sometimes passed on from one generation to the next one of Emily Druce's daughters is Holly McVie, who toured with the Villagers, played with Lana Del Rey and performed at Glastonbury. Bob Lockwood's daughter is London-based experimental club music producer and composer Aya, who got Best New Music and Front Page on Pitchfork, and got a Top 50 album in The Guardian's 2021 list. It seems she was always bound for music. Going to see Prince at Earl's Court when Taru is like eight months pregnant in a, in a purple cat suit and basketball boots and a leather jacket, you know, with this bump, you know, and, and, and like proper, proper raving it up. And, you know, and when, once, once she was born, if you put My Name Is Prince on, she'd fall asleep. Um, or, you know, and this, this, just this instinct towards kind of music, you know. And various teachers along the way would say, oh, you know, I was very talented, right? The first kind of school concert where she was... <laughs> She, she, you couldn't see her over the drum kit because she was like the first or second year and doing stuff like, you know, was beatboxing was beatboxing at the top end of primary school was charging people 20p to beatbox and she came home and she's like, we have like, we got this money oh yeah, well friends it costs friends 10p and people I don't know 20p to hear me beatbox as you might know yourself, when we are creatively free, often as teenagers or in our early 20s, musical life can seem heightened, inevitable, granted and permanent. But just as some parents did for us, we pause, often thinking we've quit completely in order to make space for this new priority. Realisations come, some of which are tough to accept. 
Who do you love, we ask ourselves. We ask our partners, our friends. And meanwhile, bands collapse, opportunities are missed, and gigs are turned down in exchange for tucking in our little one at night. There we are, moving our song from the stage to the bedroom, from down the mic to whispering it into the half-asleep ears of our rocking babies. The audience turns from hundreds to just one tiny individual. They grow up with that song you sing them to sleep with burnt into their memory. Maybe they don't even like it anymore, but it means the music has always been there, from day dot. They grow into their violin if they wish to. You step aside and let them take the stage if they wish to. You stay there and they leave if they wish to. And as vibrant as it ever was, music lives in your heart alongside this new love. Who do you love? Musicians as parents. This is Rob Bradley's Audience of One. It's about quarter to five in the morning. You're tired, that yawn is my five minute warning You'll be asleep soon I'll be relieved but I won't leave you In fact, my eyes will be glued to you And you'll sleep through while I whisper how much you mean to Me and mummy, it's funny how the things we've been through Seem to somehow in hindsight prepare us for your arrival I swear, I never thought that parent would be my title I was scared, but when it's time to, I guess Courage finds you, somewhere along the line you realise Love is vital and I've never known a love like this Though it's common, it's gotta be something for me to write this I promise, I'll teach you about the artists I grew up on how they changed my life So much so that I'd become one And whatever you become I'll support you If you're caught in a drought I'll be water Not sure what life's about Or what we're born for So I've got this weird guilt See, we give you life But can't give you answers For the blanks you need to fill I use my Around the table when I spoke to Alistair and Jenny Hansen Were daughters Lucy and Ellie Who both play violin as their first instrument but also play several other instruments between them. They have a keen interest in theatre and the arts more generally. They both write songs which Ellie sings. They play together live under the name Hanson Sisters. Bear in mind, during this interview, they were only 13 and 16 years old. Whilst they explain their musical lives, we'll hear Sunflower by Eleanor Rose Hanson, available on SoundCloud. It's Santa Martin and I'm out of bed Walk through the sunflower's yellow heads To see you smiling there at me A perfect things could be You are my sunflower Put my yellow dress on and walk to the sunflower Trying to imagine a world without the sunflower Fly on the grass and look up at the sky well, Some of my earliest memories are like lying in my bed upstairs and being able to hear you practicing on the violin downstairs. Um, well, when Lucy was six, I was three, and I wanted to do exactly what Lucy was doing, so I started then, and this sort of... I, rem I remember sitting in the string group, quite similar to your memory, in the fact that I would go along with my friends and my sister's friends, and that was just something that I did every, every Tuesday. I remember you, you fr from day one, you just sort of sat there, you know, sort of messed about with your violin for a bit, until... A few weeks, a few months later, we realised that actually you were playing all the notes that were on the music. Even though you couldn't read words yet, you couldn't read music yet, you'd learnt it by ear and you were actually able to play. Well, since I was three, I'm not sure where it came from really, but I've always wanted to be a singer-songwriter. And 
my phone and my mum's phone is absolutely filled with these voice memos that I made when I was quite little of um, all these songs that I wrote and then recorded them and then forgot about them and moved on and and I just have I've kept on doing that and I've recorded a couple and mm -hmm. um, Lucy's helped me make music videos and helped me record them and Lucy's written songs too it's just generally been yeah another part of us. The Hanson family life has a strong focus on family music making which is evident not only in their current careers but also in their home in which I interviewed them in which is full of instruments and spaces centered around music and art. Both the daughters were drawing when I arrived and continued to draw during parts of the interview. In the background of their interview, you may also hear some shuffling, whispering and playing, which is the handsome son, Robin, who already messes about with a violin at age of only four years old, and he was drawing and taking part in craft activities during the interview and shortly afterwards. I asked them all what the future holds for the family. I think something, something similar to what my mum did and her career doing freelance things I'd, in an ideal world I'd love to play on films and do recordings and uh, you know play with orchestras as well uh, as a freelancer or, or deafening and things like that. Yeah I want to uh, if you're happy to Lucy, keep working on with you <laughs> for as long as possible but that's that's where I see myself going but you know that could change. I think at the, the, the exciting thing in the pipeline for us at the moment is that we've just been given the green light for a project at Stanich. So with, with any luck, we'll, we'll have our, the, the community music making things that we do in the big Stanich building in, in yeah. Marsden. So there's a lot of scope there for interesting that, things. That, I think, is uh, really exciting, that all the music things that we have done as a family and this new project down at the Vista Centre at Stanich to make a, a, an arts centre that's hopefully going to be uh, used by a very wide range of people, local community groups and also hopefully high profile events going on, bigger named artists. Um, and for us it gives another focus of helping not just you guys but lots of other people enjoy and develop their music. With the Hansa Community Arts, what we've tried to do is to have families start learning together like we've done, because we've found it really beneficial, but also really fun. Ellie and Lucy assure me that their lives are not that unique, that they have friends who were brought up in similar ways to them. But to me, it's striking to see such a musical, creative family. What's it like to play with your family? I pose the question to them. I suppose the downside to playing with your family is that they're, um, people just say what they think rather than when you <laughs> make music yeah. with other people. Mm -hmm. the, the comments <laughs> no that are made as we, as, as we play, if we, when we're playing with other people, we wouldn't say uh, half of the things, particularly Jenny and I. I know the girls when, get on really well. And the, we, the girls, yeah, <laughs> Jenny, Jenny and I. There'll be regular discussions about um, <laughs> what should be played and how and um, and what we should be doing and things that are said which are a bit more a little bit more direct than, <laughs> than we might have with playing with other yeah. people and um, and then the girls get upset because where Jenny and I are upset with each other and um, it can sometimes be interesting um, more that your family and your children develop and do great things makes you feel really good mm. thank you girls well that was a wholesome podcast episode, I'm sure you'll agree. 
As a new parent, it perhaps gave me some insight into the challenges left to face, and hopefully some of the relief and joy I still have to encounter. As a musician, it gave me pause for thought about my shifting identity and the temporary nature of life's ebbs and flows. Remember, this is now the 13th episode of the Town Sound podcast exploring the musical histories of musicians in Kirklees. Check out the other 12 episodes and let us know what you think by contacting Let's Go Yorkshire or Sam H. Song on Instagram or Facebook. We'll see you for episode 14 in February 2024. This was a Let's Go Yorkshire and Sam H. Song production. The host and producer was Sam Hudson. The podcast has been supported by Kirklees Council, Kirklees Year of Music 2023 and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Town Sounds explores the musical histories of Kirklees to uncover untold stories through the voices of local people living musical lives. For more information on this podcast, please visit musicinkirklees.co.uk.